Hey everyone, before you dive into this week's teaching from Pastor Chris, we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. If you find this podcast to be encouraging or helpful in growing deeper in your faith, would you take a few seconds and share it with someone? They too could be needing the very same thing that you received. Again, thanks for listening and we pray that you have a wonderful day. But we are wrapping up today. We're going to put a cap on our masterclass series. And so for the last uh, six weeks, including today, we've been talking through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you guys know masterclass as as a big piece, this isn't original to us here. We kind of stole this from uh, masterclass online. If you don't know what that is, it's a online education platform profile that has some of the top people in their field actually themselves teach you either a skill or something. An example would be um, you can learn how to shoot a basketball from Steph Curry um, with the Golden State Warriors. You can learn from Gordon Ramsay how to cook the perfect steak. You can learn how to negotiate in a situation from a former FBI hostage negotiator himself. Or you can, as my favorite, is learn from Aaron Franklin, who is the king of barbecue in Texas, how to smoke the perfect brisket. Mm. If you want to learn how to do that, do that, and it will set you up for success. I'll tell you that much firsthand experience there. But uh, Masterclass is this amazing thing, and Pastor Andre and myself, we were, we were talking through teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and we realized, man, Jesus himself teaches us the Masterclass on life. And he goes through in this Sermon on the Mount and these chapters in Matthew that we've been going through, specifically how we live our lives and also specifically how God's kingdom works and how we in response are to react as citizens of God's kingdom. We know that someday for those who profess and have faith in Jesus Christ, we'll meet him face to face in heaven. And there's going to be a way that life works in heaven. And Jesus here says, this is how life works, but I don't want you to get to heaven and be a noob. I want you to get to heaven and to know how to act, how to live your life, how to conduct yourself, how to have relationships with one another and how to worship God. And Jesus breaks down through all these different chapters, how to live, how to not worry, how to ask for things from God, how to live our lives how to love our enemies, how to give, how to fast, how to pray, how to live our lives as salt and light. And Jesus here in this section today wraps up this entire sermon. Now there's debate out there whether this was actually preached in one setting at one moment from Jesus from beginning to end, but we know that all of these are Jesus's words. And at some point in some time, the, the author here, Matthew, put all of these together into what we understand as the greatest sermon ever preached. I know I can put a mean sermon together. I understand that. God's working on my humility. But Jesus here preaches literally the perfect sermon. And we're going to hear today the finishing last words of Jesus from this teaching moment. And I think it's truly, truly relevant to our lives today. And so if you would with me, you can turn, tap, click, flip over to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 15 and go all the way through the end of chapter 7 in verse 29. And the entire sermon on the mount comes down to these final sets of verses. And Jesus is going to talk about the narrow and wide gates. He's going to talk about true and false prophets. He's going to talk about true and false disciples. And he's going to talk about this wise and foolish 
builders. If you guys have ever been in church or heard the Sermon on the Mount before, you've probably heard about the, the, the person who builds on the rock versus the person who builds on the sand. I think there's even a, a, a song as kids we would sing. Um, and I think Jesus here sets us up for life. He gives some key things here in these scriptures of truly how we live and the ultimate example of how we are true disciples of Jesus. You see in our wall that our vision and mission is about to see our community saturated with the glory of God through making disciples in the everyday stuff of life. To bring God's glory to saturate our community, it first starts with us being a true disciple of Jesus. That's why we talk about and we promote our Sunday morning classes with teaching. Chris Lindsay is an awesome teacher for us. She comes in and teaches these classes, and we offer other classes Sunday morning. Yes. Then we have Wednesdays. We come in and we hang out. We've been going through the book of Daniel together. And if you've been a part of that, it's been awesome to just kind of go verse by verse and just talk about this and what it means for us and all the cultural references and all the things. We don't just offer these things to offer something if you're bored during the week. We don't. We offer these things for you to go deeper in your walk with Jesus and to become what Jesus is going to teach here, what it means to be a true disciple. I'm I'm starting to preach here already. I still want to read the scripture, but here we go. Starting in verse 15 of chapter 7, it says this. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. But their fruit, but by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Did I skip there? Go back to 17. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Continuing on, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Jesus ain't pulling any punches, do I? Therefore, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, And beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Jesus, thank you for your words this morning. God, I pray that we would leave this place transformed. God, may we take a step deeper into what it means to be a true disciple of you. God, that we would not be the same as we were when we arrived this morning. Jesus, thank you for this time, for this moment. God, we thank you for the worship through singing. God, through the worship through giving. God, now through the worship through your word. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for today. 
Amen. The entire Sermon on the Mount comes down to these final verses right here. And what it is, is ultimately, is is an invitation for people to follow Jesus. That's what it is right here. Jesus is ultimately coming down to two groups of people here. Either you're a follower of Jesus, or you're a denier of Jesus. That's just how it is. There's only two groups. There's no middle ground. There's no party over here. There's no party over here. There's no other group of Jesus followers or deniers. And I know that kind of sounds harsh to say that, but that's the reality of what we're facing here. And Jesus puts it this way in two different parts. He first talks about the deceivers, the false prophets. And then he, he talks about the, uh, those who are deceived, those who are the, the false disciples. And Jesus breaks this down and gives this final part talking about get, really giving a warning to describe these false prophets that I would say then create false disciples and gives a warning against them. And he gives some words in here and some, some, some ways to specifically detect what they do or what they don't do to be able to navigate these waters. Jesus here gives two illustrative analogies, and, and then in verse 20 kind of summarizes all. He says, thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. See, these here are, are the deceived, which, which Jesus begins to give a warning about those. And he goes into a little more detail in verse 21, and, and, but he says, these people will not enter the kingdom of God. Even though that they make their, quote, claims, God, we did this, and we did this, and we did this in your name, like, like we're buddy-buddy, we're, we're right? And Jesus, what does he say? He says in, in verse 23, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I want to break this down a little bit. I know you're trying to like, man, they're like, he's coming at us today. Like, whew, this is heavy stuff. And I, and I know that there's pastors out there that would probably not even touch this, <laughs> this with a 10-foot pole and not even try to go there because it's some tricky waters to navigate here. But I want us to walk through this way. I want to talk about first the deceivers and the deceived. See, these deceived were these people who claimed to be followers of Jesus. They claimed to be these, these prophets. They claimed to be these amazing people. Why? Because they have these gifts or abilities to do stuff. Well, if we know the Bible and we look at the Bible, there's miraculous things just aren't for the people of Jesus. Go all the way back. You can take a look in, in Exodus verses 7 and 8. And it says this. It says, talks about the Egyptian magicians and Pharaoh's sorcerers. Remember that? Moses comes into the high court there in Egypt and, and, and God tells him to, or Moses to take Aaron's staff and throw it down on the ground. It turns into a snake. You guys remember that story? What do the sorcerers and the Egyptian tops do? They come in, they do the exact same thing. Well, how can they do that? Well, they, they, they're, 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 there's sorcery and there, there's, there's dark magic and different things out there that allow some of these things to happen through the power of Satan. So just because you can do some miraculous thing doesn't mean you're a prophet of Jesus. We see this again. Jesus gives a warning in Matthew 24, talking about in the end times that you're going to have false messiahs. And they're going to have these great signs and these great wonders, but they're there to deceive. They're there to mess with you because they're under the power of the evil one. And then Paul, he gives a warning as well in 2 Thessalonians. These followers of Satan's they have these somehow ability to have gifts and wonders, but they're centered in wickedness and lies. 
So just because you have somebody maybe in your life that can, that, can, that can heal or perform many miracles or wonders or things before you doesn't mean they're a follower of Jesus. What does Jesus say to test them? You will know them by what? Their fruit. Jesus said, look at their lives. Not, not their showy, upfront performance life, but look at those quiet moments in their lives. Is there fruit of Jesus? I think it's unfortunate in the, in the world that we live in of televangelists and preachers on TV and all these different things. Of They've come out, unfortunately, being caught in scandals and embezzlement of money or affairs or sexual sin or just evil problems with substance abuse or so many different things. And, and, you, and you go back and you're like, man, they look so amazing. They, they said all the right words. They did all the right things. I I think of, I'm hot water here, but I think of Benny Hinn. All these miracles that we saw of people being healed, come to find out it's all fake. It was all a setup. Now, did God use that for his glory? Oh, I believe it. I'm not saying that all of that ministry is lost and forgotten and God's kingdom wasn't glorified even through deceitfulness and humans' own problems and selfishness. But there wasn't fruit. And when we look at this, Jesus breaks it down this way. He goes, two things. Two things are missing in these people's lives. First, a relationship with Jesus. How do we know that? Well, Jesus plainly here says, I didn't know them. There's no relationship. And the second thing he talks about, there was a lack of following God's will. What is God's will? Well, we see break down, very simple. Jesus reduces God's will to two things, loving God and loving others. That's what it's about. If you were to ask me, Pastor Chris, what is God's will for my life? I said two things. Love God with everything you got and to love others the same. That's the ultimate call in each and every one of our lives. And it is through that and the everyday stuff of life of loving that God is going to saturate our communities with his glory. Amen. And so Jesus closes out this sermon starting with specifically this narrow and wide gates. And, and it's hard to say and hard to accept, but the reality is not everybody's going to say yes to Jesus. It's not going to happen. Does Jesus desire that for every single person? Absolutely, 100%. That's no greater thing on his heart than for people to come into a relationship with him, but it's just not going to happen. And the reality is that for us, when we say yes to Jesus, we choose the narrow path. We choose the path less traveled, maybe, or, or this uh, here would be the, the narrow gate. Maybe the, I think of maybe a, a trail that isn't like paved 10 feet wide, like a fire break you see up in the hills and the mountains, but more of a trail that's kind of, uh, it's kind of hard to see. You can kind of see the break through the trees and you kind of go, I, the map says there's a trail here. But because there haven't been so many people on it, it's not beaten down. It's not clear. There might be brush and weeds in the way, but we still are called to walk on this path called discipleship. And true discipleship means that we follow Jesus no matter what. We follow Jesus through every single step of the way. And Jesus says along the way, you're going to find yourself encountering true and false prophets. And these false prophets, if not judged by their fruit, are there to pull us away. They're to distract us. They're there to say, hey, 
I'm going on this trail. It's a little rough. I got an asphalt trail over here that is perfectly smooth, cleared. I even got a little lime scooter for you to hop on over on this ride. And it's enticing, especially if the trail has been hard. You go, man, I, God, I don't get this, God. This is tough. But Jesus says, as true disciples, we stay on the path that he has for us. And true disciples, we are called to live this life not for ourselves, but for God. That ultimately, we walk in the path of the kingdom of God. And this, this brings us to a really hard conversation. So before we go forward, I want to kind of just let me state this. We are saved by grace, not by works. I want, to, I want, I want, I want us to get this here. Because I don't think the church, I think, has failed at this sometimes, unfortunately. That, that, that there's this fine balance in here between faith and works, but we are ultimately saved by faith, and there's nothing you or I can do to earn our salvation. And it is only through Jesus receiving that forgiveness of sin by him can we be saved. No one is saved by works. Okay? I want to make sure I state this as clear as day today because I don't want you guys to get confused. Rather, we are saved by grace, but we are judged by works. Does that make sense? So we are saved by God's grace. Nothing of our own merit, nothing that we have done, nothing we can earn, nothing we can strive for. There's nothing that can be done on ourselves to save ourselves. We are too far gone, broken, lost, all of that. Only Jesus can make that right. And I think sometimes in the church, we, we, we sit in this camp all day long and we forget there's a whole other side to the coin of Jesus. And Jesus here specifically in this Sermon on the Mount is saying, as we have read through every single part of it, there is more to this than just saying a prayer one day. We in Western culture have distilled probably Jesus down to a one-time prayer at a one moment, a one place, one time, boom, check the box. I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. Thanks, Jesus. I'm going to go live my life. But see, the fact is, I, 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 John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish eternally, but have this life in heaven with God. But Jesus also loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us where we are when we receive that salvation. That the other part to this is discipleship. Taking every single moment of every single day going, God, I know I don't have this figured out. I don't understand. I don't have all the answers. But you've given me something that has the answers. And I need to, every single step of the way, say yes to you, Jesus, in my life. And slowly, piece by piece, God breaks our heart. He chips away the junk. And he creates and forms and molds us into who he wants for us and for our lives and for our communities. Because ultimately, in the end, it isn't about us to say, look what I did. Because Jesus talks about this, right? He said, just because these people are amazing and they do all this stuff and all, it doesn't mean they're a disciple of Jesus. It's a continual process of growing into who he has for us. 
And this faith versus works is this battle back and forth. I heard a pastor say it this way, and I want to read it to you. He says, sometimes we need to sound like salvation is by faith so much that works are out of the picture. And other times we need to sound like works are so much in focus that we may sound like faith isn't the point. And if we follow these biblical themes of the entire Bible, specifically here in the Sermon on the Mount, we will find the proper biblical balance. You guys following me this morning? This text here that Jesus is talking about isn't about salvation. This isn't about salvation. But it's more about the moral integrity and a method of detecting where we stand when it comes to genuine discipleship. That's what this is about. And when we see this true discipleship, we begin to ask these questions of our lives. Do we show mercy to those who are in need? Do we care for the marginalized, unlike the rich man who didn't concern himself with the poor man at his gate? Do our neighbors think we're gracious and loving? Or are we abstinent and judgmental? Ooh, that one hurts. Do we nurture love and patience with our family, our children, our friends, or our grandchildren? Do we serve our spouse as Christ serves the church? And now I'm not saying we got to be perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? That, 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 that's not going to happen. But true disciples of Jesus are known by their fruit. And Jesus here specifically says, a good tree is going to bear good fruit. Bad tree bears bad fruit. There's no other way around it. Now, I think Jesus can take a bad tree and put his love and care and focus and growth into it and grow it into a good tree. I think that can happen. So I'm not saying just because you're like, ah, pastor, I'm just, I'm just not a good tree. Sorry, I'm out of here. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is that discipleship side, okay? We all weren't a good tree at some point. That's what's amazing. None of us in here in this room ever earned our status because we walked in here good. I'm not up here preaching in front of you guys because I'm, quote, good. Still working on it. Still growing. Still learning every single day what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. See, the Sermon on the Mount here in Jesus in his just perfect brilliance has times where you're, you're, you're asked to choose between two options. And it's amazing how he has this set up and he, and he writes this or, or taught this, excuse me, in a way that just, it flows, if that makes sense. I was reading through this last night, and I was just amazed. I'm like, I, I've heard a lot of good sermons in my life. None I've ever preached from people way wiser and better than myself. And I look at this, and I go, this is a perfect sermon. The logic is perfect. The illustrations are perfect. The teaching is perfect. Everything here is perfect. I wouldn't expect anything less from Jesus, our Savior, right? And he comes down to this parable in the end of wise and foolish builders. And it's interesting here that this first person, the wise person, hears. But then we also flip over to the foolish person, and they hear too. I felt like sometimes 
I forget this reading this story, but both people hear. That's, that's not the difference that makes between these two. Both people hear. And not like, tell your kids to do something here. That's a joke. You guys have kids, you ever told your kids to do something, you question if they truly hear or not. But Jesus here is saying, these people heard and understood the information. The difference is their actions. The difference between these two groups is their actions of what they did after they heard what Jesus had told them. And it's, it's very symmetrical with what Jesus has done all the way through this sermon. The hearing versus doing, or sorry, hearing and doing versus hearing and not doing, wise versus foolish, house collapsing versus house not collapsing. And Jesus here is giving us a warning what's going to happen, not to our houses, our homes itself, but these houses are our lives. These houses are an example of our lives ourselves of what's going to happen depending on our actions after we have heard. Jesus talks about this first person, the wise person, who hears and does. Jesus says they're like the person who goes and builds a house and builds it on solid rock, builds it on a firm foundation, so that when the storms of life come, when the wind blows, when, when life hits us, when we least expect it, we're strong. Not because of what we have done, but because we're strong in Jesus. And we're a true disciple of Christ. But on the flip side, there's the one who just heard and said, okay, thanks, Jesus. I got it from here, buddy. And goes and just builds their house on a sandy place. I don't know if it's sand specifically or a loose material of gravel. I don't know what grade of gravel Jesus is talking about here in this spectrum, but it's not a solid rock foundation. And in doing research in this, I found this super interesting because I realized in this, through people way smarter than myself, I'm not giving myself any credit today, am I? I'm just saying everybody else is smart anyway. Jesus would have known this firsthand because Nazareth is a place that is up in the foothills that is known for a place that would have had large rock formations on which homes would have been built. And Jesus, being a carpenter himself, would have been associated with these said building projects, and he would have known specifically what he was talking about. I find this interesting. I also find interesting that Jesus himself right now, where it's understood where the Sermon on the Mount was preached, was up in the foothills in Capernaum, above the area known as the Sea of Galilee. And that they would have been on the hillside, probably looking down to the Sea of Galilee itself. But they would have been raised up enough in this area where there would have been large rock formations around them that Jesus would have basically said, build your house on this that Jesus may have been standing on a large rock formation in this moment, not saying he was, maybe he was, a little imagination here, but to say that this is what you build your life on. And all the construction workers on the hillside would have been like, Jesus got it, he knows the stuff. Jesus knows the difference between cement and concrete. 
Jesus knows that he, he's building 101 right here, Jesus. You got it. And then Jesus could have then pointed to the Sea of Galilee and said, you see along the ocean there? Along that shore? Don't build on that. Jesus didn't like pull these analogies out of like just space. Like he would have literally been in that place. I love when he's like walking through the field and he starts talking about wheat. Like Jesus is like a very practical in space, time, location kind of a teacher. And it's amazing. And Jesus points to the Sea of Galilee down there and the sandy and the loose rock and says, you know you don't build your house down there, right? And all the construction workers go, yep, we know that, Jesus. Right there, we know that. That's like the first thing you learn in, in building school. Don't build on sand. Build on rock. First test question right there for your contractor's license. But Jesus here is saying this, you build on rock, you don't build on sand. Why? Not because it won't stand up straight. I bet you could compact sand down and make a perfect, smooth foundation and make it look just nice and then build a house. You don't build on sand. Why? Because you know when the storms of life, when the wind comes, when the rain comes, it just starts washing everything out. And what happens to the house? Gone. And you run into your neighbor's house, pounding on their door because they built on the rock foundation you say, save me. <laughs> the entire aim of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is bringing to this point here, is saying, do what I say. The entire point of the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about our lives, our relationships, what we're supposed to do with our money, what we're supposed to do with the gifts and talents we've been given, how we're supposed to love other people, how we're not supposed to judge, how we're not supposed to worry but have trust in him, how we're, we're supposed to walk this life. Jesus is pointing to a place of do what I say. It's the difference between those two builders, right? The one who said, okay, Jesus, thanks for the words. I'm going to go build on sand. And the one that heard Jesus and went and built the way that God told him to build his life. Doesn't mean the storms aren't coming, right? Just because we sign up for this whole Jesus club and, and get the card and be all in doesn't mean life's not going to hit us. It is. But where's our foundation? There's this word, Greek word used here in Jesus, dikaios. And it's this word that describes the behaviors of those that conform to God's will, and in particular for Jesus, these behaviors that conform to the will of God that he teaches about the kingdom. Another way to say it, big old Jesus word, righteousness. That's what it means. Doing what God tells for us in our lives is righteousness. And Jesus is calling his disciples, us as disciples. There's no distinction. That's the same disciple. Everybody who was following Jesus then as a disciple, we following Jesus now, we are disciples. And it's a disciple or not a disciple. And Jesus is saying here, this is the way of righteousness, doing what God tells us in our lives. Through the Bible, through other true prophets and true disciples in our lives to encourage us. That's what it's about. 
the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy says it this way. I think it's a really great way. He says, all Scripture, all of this right here, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Apostle Paul here in that scripture in 2 Timothy isn't just saying the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying the entire Bible, all the scripture, beginning to the end, not just a few verses here that we don't really like, or these verses over here, they're like, oh, I love these. Mm, these are so, these are my favorite. The whole Bible. And James put it this way, I think almost even better, in chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone listens to the word but does not do what it said is like someone who looks at the face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Remember that word blessed? We talked about that right at the beginning, the Beatitudes. Big happy. Big joy, extravagant, laughter. When we follow God's word, there is going to be a joy and a happiness in our lives that no storm can knock down, nothing can take away, nobody can put out. Why? Because we've built our foundation on Jesus as a true disciple. That first step in salvation is that just that, the first step. Jesus wants so much more for our lives than we can ever, ever imagine. Hearing leads to doing. Hearing is useless if it doesn't change to action. I can hear everything in the world, all the most brilliant people. I could watch every master class on this platform. Watch every YouTube video. I'm trying to fix our fridge at home right now, and I'm watching YouTube video after YouTube video. My dad's tired of me texting him, going, hey, I think I figured it out. Nope. Another video. I think I actually have figured it out, okay? I'll let you guys know next week. But if I don't do anything with it, it's useless. I might as well have not even watched these videos or read the forums or looked anything up or looked at a wiring diagram or service manual or anything. It's useless. Martin Luther, you guys probably heard of Martin Luther, 95 Theses. The doctrine is a good and a precious thing, but it is not being preached for the sake of being heard, but for the sake of action and its application to life. Jesus didn't preach the Sermon on the Mount for people to do something on a Tuesday afternoon that they didn't have anything else going on. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, did what he did, taught what he did, came down from heaven on his throne, his nice, awesome, cushy place next to God for action. Saved by grace, though. But there has to be action that follows it.
we know that there was something supernatural about this because in verse 28 it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Jesus raises the bar on what people considered law to a whole new standard. Not for the sake of something to be achieved or to raise up to, but for the new life that God is calling each and every one of his followers into called true discipleship. And again, this is our heart here at Spring Valley for each and every one of you. It's part of our four G's. Talk about go, or sorry, talk about gather. Talk about go, grow. It's about growing in Jesus every single day. And that's why we have things, one-on-one discipleship mentor options. We have Wednesday night groups to be together and to go through God's word and to learn and to change. We have Sunday morning classes before church. If you can't do the midweek thing, we have a Nine, it's only 9 o'clock. We're not super early here. It's just 9 to 10. It's about growing in our walk with Jesus. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And Matthew, who's the author of this gospel, says it this way. Here is Jesus. Either do what he says or don't do what he says. It's your choice. I think that's why Jesus here, I think in verse 24, says, Therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine. To respond to the Sermon on the Mount is to not just respond to some ethical vision out there of good action or good behavior or good to respond to the sermon is to respond to Jesus. And the proper response is to declare who he is by the way we live our life. The question becomes, will we? Will we? Are we going to hear and do? Or are we just going to hear and not? we got to figure out. And I'll tell you, Pastor Andre and myself and our leadership team, we are committed to helping you guys figure that out and to walk through that every single day with you guys. There's a piece of this that we're not doing life alone. There's no isolation in this. It's a lie from Satan himself. He wants to keep you isolated and by yourself and alone and thinking you can't do it. You can. And through his power and his word, we will. That's what we're going to do. To see our community saturated with the glory of God through making disciples in the everyday stuff of life. That's what it's about. That's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words. God, thank you for your perfect teaching. God, I pray that We wouldn't just hear for the sake of hearing, God, but we would hear and we would do. We know this isn't an issue of salvation. This isn't something that we have to do to earn our good graces with you. 
but rather, God, it is something that out of the transformation you've created in our hearts through our forgiveness of sins and our love that we are experiencing in Jesus Christ, we can't just stay the same. If we truly believe that this teaching is as those of the crowd said that it was so different than what they were used to because it was supernatural teaching that pierced to their heart. God, may your words pierce our hearts and change us and not leave us the way that we were when we first encountered you. God, may we not stop growing. May we continue every single day to say yes to you and to figure out through your teaching, your leading, your guiding, your supernatural power in our lives, figure out what each day has for us and to say yes to you and to grow and to become a true disciple of you. God, that is our heart. That is our desire. Thank you, Jesus, for all of your love and your grace that you give us every single day when we're undeserving. God, you're amazing. (laughs) You're absolutely amazing, and you care for each and every one of us. God, don't let us leave here the same as when we came in. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you would, please take a moment to subscribe and leave an encouraging review to help others find our podcasts on whatever platform you are listening on. We hope you have a wonderful day. We'll catch you next week.